Welcome to the Lake Mac Way, where we spend some time with our people who make Lake Macquarie a great place to live and work. Melanie Smith, welcome to the Lake Mac Way. Who roped you into this particular interview? Oh, I think it might have been Sean Lucy, the general counsel here. Uh, I think this was all his idea. Are you uh, nervous about this? Are you reluctant to talk to me? Despite being an introvert, I'm never reluctant. I love a spotlight, what can I say? So how does an introvert love the spotlight and love to talk? I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I don't know, is the answer. But I, uh, uh, yeah, I seem to, I'm one of those people that I sign up for things and then I say, why did I do that? Mm. And then I just go and do it. So tell me about that introvert thing, that interests me. In what ways uh, would you say, I'm an introvert and here are some examples? Uh, I think it's just, uh, I guess, a a reluctance. I'm much better in smaller circles, Uh, not into crowds, don't really like too much noise. Quiet workplace here, it actually suits me because I prefer to just walk around in my own little bubble, I suppose. And uh, so, yeah, that just just acquired a person. How long have you worked at Lake Macquarie Council? Nine years this year. No plans on going anywhere? You, you like it here? I suppose you've got to say that, haven't you? I do. No, I'm running the risk of becoming a part of the furniture. But uh, no, not at all. It's, I think it says a lot about the fact that I've been here nearly 10 years. It says a lot about the place, what it's like, what people are like. What are the best things about working here? The one thing that struck me from the minute I walked in the door was uh, that the people genuinely care about the local residents, the community. Ratepayers' funds are treated with the sort of reverence that you would hope. And uh, that's really meaningful, I suppose, to come to work at a place where where everyone genuinely just wants to do the best they can for the local community. That's overwhelmingly been my uh, experience here. How do you think that's achieved in a workplace? Does it just happen uh, naturally or the right people are being employed or is there some other secret you might share? I think it's a little bit of it is the right people and also we're very much a values-driven organisation, we've got values that um, are promoted and and by and large we subscribe to. So I think having that values message communicated from the top down together with the right people just makes it a good place to work. Every workplace has conflict. Wherever the people, wherever people are involved, there is always going to be people who don't get on as well with some others. An issue comes up, there might be a bit of headbutting. So you've got an issue to deal with, you've got a conflict to deal with. In your experience, maybe not you personally, how are those things dealt with? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think by and large, they're dealt with... Uh, people tend to be very conciliatory around here. The one thing that I would say with the team that I'm in is that they're not just my colleagues, they're also my friends. And that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to say. After 10 years, I've worked with some of them for that entire time. 
and I consider them my friends. So in the same way that, that you would hope conflict would be resolved anywhere else, it's dealt with here, it's dealt with in a way that is always respectful. And uh, usually, quite often we're very much a, a place where people will mediate the dispute if someone becomes aware of it they will have that conversation and allow this person to speak, allow that person to speak, and it just sort of resets the, the relationship a lot of the time. My, yeah, my experience has definitely not been that there's conflict that carries on for any period of time. So we've dealt with that side of it. I, I want to know about your job. Now, I heard your job title... But I've got no idea what you do. Tell me what you do. Okay. Well, basically, council, sometimes people don't agree with the decisions that we make and they've got the right to appeal those decisions to courts and that becomes a, a set of court proceedings. Sometimes council... So this might be a DA. a DA. It could be a DA. It could be the decision to declare a dog, a dangerous dog. Uh, it, there are uh, various decisions that council might make where someone says no I'm not happy that decision impacts me and I'm not happy with it so uh, I'm going to appeal it to a court and then council becomes a part of those proceedings and we become the respondent the one responding to the appeal and so there's in the land and environment court and in the local court those are the types of matters that we might deal with then we've got other matters where sometimes we're required to prosecute someone. There might be some uh, unlawful development or uh, a dog attack or something like that and we're required to actually start a criminal prosecution. So we see it on both sides, both as the person responding to a court case and as the, the organisation that's commencing the court case as a, in a sort of a criminal frame in, in the same way that the police or the Crown might prosecute someone. So you're involved in that? That's the pointy end of your job? Yes. So my job is basically to run those pieces of litigation, to be the lawyer in council who is responsible for, for managing them and making sure that they run through the court process as efficiently as possible. Is that a stressful job? can be, yep. It can be stressful, yeah. Um, sometimes it's when you get a good outcome, it uh, can be very meaningful, but sometimes you're dealing particularly where you're particularly in dog attacks, I have to say I find those particularly difficult because you can have people who on both sides, people who've been pretty horrifically injured and also people who just can't accept that their beloved pet might be responsible for that. So it can be really difficult to be in the middle of that. You've been here nearly 10 years at Lake Macquarie Council. What? Tell me about your work life prior to getting here. Okay. Well, I'd worked, uh, I've basically only worked in the legal field. I started off as a, a typist in the typing pool at a big law firm and worked my way up through a couple of different law firms doing everything from reception to uh, legal secretary and, and ultimately a paralegal. 
And when I came to council, I was in the final stages of my law degree, still working as a paralegal when I was doing conveyancing matters. All right, let's talk a bit about you. This is the bit where you might be you know, having a little laugh, shaking your head and saying, oh, I don't like talking about myself, I'm an introvert. Is that one of the introvert characteristics you were referring to? It can be, yes. Uh, it's easier. It can be easier to, to be presenting something rather than just talking about yourself. That's definitely true. Let's start, see how we go. Were you born in Newcastle? No, I was born out in the Hawkesbury area, uh, which is sort of out Windsor-Richmond the outskirts, very extreme western outskirts of Sydney, Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met my husband oh, about 25 years ago, and he was from Newcastle. So when we got married, we moved up here, and the rest is history. <laughs> All right, so that, that you married 25 years. Yeah. Let me ask you this one. What was life like in those days? What was the childhood like growing up? Well, actually, I've I've now been pretty much up here as long as I was down there for. So half my life now has been up here. Uh, back down in uh, that area, uh, you know, I've got children now that are in school and you, you do tend to relive your childhood a little bit through your children. So it has made me reflect back on just what a good education and upbringing I had. I was very fortunate to go to a really good schools uh, and live somewhere that's actually not that different from up here. It reminds me a lot of up here because it's uh, semi-rural, so you've got a lot of those agricultural activities going on, but it's also close to a major centre, so it's, it's got that same vibe about it. So in a lot of ways, this has very much become home now up here, but it doesn't feel too dissimilar to what life was like down there, very quite rural, lots of, lots of acreage and, and agricultural activities going on, and, but still lots of fun to be had at the shops and, and all that sort of thing. So what were the best things about growing up there? Uh, oh, we had lots of pets, uh, all sorts of pets, everything from horses to cows and donkeys and <laughs> rats and chickens and you kept rats or were they a problem no, my brother had a pet rat he also had pet mice but uh, no we, the only thing we never had were reptiles never been a big fan of the reptile but beyond that all sorts of different animals always had animals and you know it's great growing up with you walk out the back door and there's a donkey <laughs> you almost had your own circus kind of yeah yep Minus the clowns. I don't think the clowns were there too. <laughs> uh, no, there were definitely some clowns present. But no, it was good. It was good to have that sort of, uh, and just beautiful location. Like like up here, very foresty and lots of beautiful natural attractions. So it was good to grow up in that sort of world. School life, friends there. Were you always, were you good at school? I was good at school. Yeah, I was always I always enjoyed school, uh, and never re- I was one of those kids that never had to be asked to do my homework because I was already doing it. Mm. Uh, so yes, I I always enjoyed school and uh, identified fairly early on. I mean, the two things that were interesting to me were writing and law. So getting to the end of school and thinking about where that might lead, uh, I did actually 
dabble with the idea of being a journalist for a while, but couldn't really see myself necessarily doing that job and didn't know, didn't really have the wisdom at the time to see where else a degree in communications might lead. So I transferred into law and then once I started working in law firms, once you've got a little bit of experience and you say you're doing a degree, mm. I was never out of work again. So life just kind of dragged me in that direction. You said that you were good at writing and you were interested in the law. How old were you when you you know, had that epiphany, for want of a better word? The writing, I was very young. I was primary school age. From the time I was maybe eight or nine, avid reader, uh, very much a reader, and writing my own little stories and always getting comments from the teachers and different people about, you're a very talented writer, you're a really good writer, you know. And I think that, that that's actually carried me through my law degree. If I wasn't such a good writer, I would have found that degree much harder. Um, it definitely relies very heavily on that. Then when I got to high school, I started um, studying legal studies in about year eight or nine and just clicked, you know, I just got it and did very, always did very well in that class. It was kind of my best subject from that point on. And my, <laughs> my parents were pretty keen for me to pursue mm. that field. And I, I certainly didn't hate the idea. I was probably more interested in being a writer but I certainly was good at legal studies, yeah. Why do you think you liked the law? I, I always was drawn to the court stuff, so I guess it's, it's not really any surprise that that's where I've ended up doing that sort of stuff. Because of the drama or because of the impact you could have in a social way? A bit of both. There's definitely an opportunity to... I mean, look... Particularly from the outside looking in, there's a level of glamour associated with being a lawyer. Uh, once I actually started working in litigation as a legal secretary and paralegal, it does require you to be very organised and able to pick up things really quickly, like just glance at something and get it. You've got to be pretty quick-witted to do that sort of work, uh, to do it well. And I just found that I really enjoyed I was able to get things organised. I've got a bit of a tidy mind, you might say, in that organising is something that I'm particularly good at. So it then just became a bit of a natural fit for my skills to, to work in litigation in particular. How far did you go in, in the, the law career? Are you, are you a barrister, solicitor, lawyer? I'm, well, a, a, a lawyer can be a bar is a barrister and a solicitor, basically anyone who's admitted to the Supreme Court as you're admitted as a lawyer. Is that you? Yes, yep. So that's the first step, you're admitted as a lawyer. Then you make a choice, am I going to be a solicitor and join the Law Society or am I going to be a barrister and join the Bar Association? And barristers have a very particular job, they're self-employed and their role is to appear in court, usually in, in higher level courts, and also to give advice to solicitors. Solicitors have that more client-facing role where they can appear in court, but they can also do conveyancing and transactional matters that the barristers don't do. 
and they can they usually are the ones who retain the barrister on behalf of the client so both lawyers but different aspects of the legal field so which path did you choose i chose the solicitor one why didn't you become a barrister have you ever thought about that Certainly I have. Usually uh, some people do go straight to the bar, as it's called, from law school. Once they're admitted, they go straight to the bar. The more conventional courses, they get experience as a solicitor first, so that when they turn up to court, they might specialise in family law or planning law or something like that still. But they've got so many years of knowledge working as a solicitor that they then take to their role as a barrister. So that's probably a more conventional pathway. And yes, I've, I've thought of it, but it's being self-employed <laughs> is a little bit scary, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, I think you might also lose that sense of community. I mean, you do have that when you most barristers work in chambers, which is just an office building with lots of other self-employed barristers. So they no doubt have that sense as well, but it's not the same as working in an organisation for the common good, so to speak, which is what I've got here. Was it difficult leaving where you'd grown up once you'd met your husband, your future husband, and came to Newcastle? Was it difficult to leave? It was. Uh, I, I sort of We had a bit of a false start. We did plan to leave, and then I said, oh, I'm not sure. There's so many opportunities in Sydney, I'm not sure I want to leave. So we waited another 12 months, and then finally... Uh, we wanted to buy a house and we just couldn't do that in Sydney. So the lure of the less expensive house mm-hmm. finally led me up here. And, and once I came up here, there was never any uh, regret at all. I, I thought this is this is just like home, only closer to the beach. So you get to Newcastle, you're married, you buy a house. What are you doing job-wise? What are you doing with your career at that stage? Well, at that point, I was... I had been working as a typist at the at the big law firm and I went from there to another another firm in Newcastle and I was at that firm for eight or nine years. Are you qualified at this stage? No, no. I, at this point I'm a, still a student. So studying very slowly through this law degree, this what was a three-year law degree but it took me quite a bit longer because I was part-time and just very slowly making my way through the degree working as a legal secretary, basically. So what about the, the big news, the exciting news, when you could actually get your degree and start work? Did that happen straight away? Once you got your degree, was there a job to go to? I was already at council by that point. So, what? Yeah, yeah. These, like I said, it didn't, these things don't happen quickly. I get there eventually, but it took a while. So you were here at like yeah, Mac yeah. Council then? Yes. Mm-hmm. They must have seen something. I hope so. They they haven't told me to go. So, <laughs> well, you've been here ten years, so I imagine not. So, away from work, uh, we've talked about work and why you love the job and the other people and the, just the desire to help the community. There's a general desire there. What do you do away from work? Say, for instance, if you're going through a stressful situation, do you have a method, a technique? when you leave here, that you can leave it behind and de-stress? There are a few things that I've done on and off over the years. Even something as simple as just wearing very casual clothes on the weekend. 
something very different to what you would wear in the office can be enough of a, yep, I'm mentally somewhere else now, so uh, I don't need to worry about work. Keeping set hours, and it's easy to fall into the habit of, it's 10 o'clock at night and someone sent me an email, I should deal with it now. The problem with that is sometimes, particularly in a court-facing job like this one, you don't have a choice. Uh, if, If someone, if the court, or if you're in court the next day and something drops into your inbox at late at night, you've got to deal with it because the court won't accept that, well, it was outside of my business hours. That's, that's, not, uh, that's just not a consideration. So, But prior to email, and I know we're going back a, a while here, there would have been no choice for that email. That email could not have dropped into your inbox at 10 o'clock at night. Correct, yeah, and, and this is entirely the point. I think that technology has actually exacerbated the problem to a large extent. The court has, uh, and most lawyers, or all lawyers, we're officers of the court. It's the court that appoints us or uh, admits us as lawyers. So we're, we're very keen to, to do the right thing uh, when it comes to anything to do with the court and just in general, obviously, but particularly with the court. So there is that sort of jump through burning hoops mentality and technology has made that worse Mm. because now you are on demand 24-7. So you've got the comfortable clothes on on the weekend to put that line in the sand between work and home. But the next thing you said was, but it's difficult because the court can't or won't use an excuse of if we sent you an email at 10pm you need to read it. So what are the other things other than dressing casually do you do about your stress? Well uh, like a lot of other people I've got guilty pleasures absolutely I I love a good Hallmark Christmas movie it's it's terrible I know but I've already started watching it. It's not terrible I'm sure all the movies aren't terrible there's got to be some good ones. No they actually are terrible. All of them? Yeah, yeah. Get on to another station. <laughs> I actively seek them out. <laughs> Why do you think? My life, you watch them, you think, well, my life's not that bad. Have a look at this. Yeah, it could be that. I, I just really, I have to say, I really love trashy movies, like not even trashy movies, but bad movies. Uh, like I love 1970s disaster films, Earth Carrying Inferno, those. The Poseidon Adventure? Poseidon Adventure. Oh, yes. How good was that? Ernest Borgnine, mm. Shelley Winters. You know them all. Yeah, that was a 1970s disaster film. That was one of the first films I ever saw. Ah, okay. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good Probably too. me too. So you like those because they are, they completely take you... Escapism. Yeah, it takes me to another time. And I guess the 70s are the one decade I don't, I've lived in that I don't remember very much about because I was pretty young. So... I, I kind of enjoy looking at the the bad decor and, and mm-hmm. terrible dress sense. Mm-hmm. There's a you know bit of a guilty pleasure there. Do you got a dog, oh. cat? I've got two dogs, Teddy and Daisy, and they keep us laughing. They're, they're little characters, little Maltese dogs. And, yeah, they keep us laughing. They're very, very different personalities, but they've got their own distinct little personalities. I've never had a cat, but I think dogs... Are, or they do become really part of the family. 
Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. They're the fur babies, well and truly. My daughter's at an age where <laughs> she's getting a licence and she wants to put little doggy car seats in the back seat. I thought for a minute you were going to say she wants to teach the dog to drive. <laughs> <laughs> she will be so cranky at me. That, that might be one to cut out. <laughs> It's only fair that she does get a shout-out for that. That's not too bad. You want to put... I know people who do it. It's not the only one I've ever heard that well, puts the, the doggy list. seats in the car. It's on the Christmas list. It is on the Christmas list. Anything else? Any words of wisdom you would share with us about dealing with stress once you walk out of the office? Probably less about dealing with stress um, and... I've certainly got words of wisdom, but I, I don't know about specifically dealing with stress. All right, let's go to the words of wisdom. Just the words of wisdom. Well, probably you've got to be a little bit resilient is really important. Having grit is really important. I would never have, if, if I'd have stopped at every obstacle that I've encountered along the way, I wouldn't have been admitted as a lawyer. I probably wouldn't have a degree you sort of got to keep coming back and not take no for an answer. I think that's very important. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but you do really need to just have that persistence. And someone once said, no is just a request for more information. And I like that. I think that that's, you just need to reset and try again. You've got grit, determination, and you said you wouldn't have got to where you are unless you had that resilience. So what, what are the biggest challenges you face? What are some of the hurdles you've had to confront and get over to get where you are today? Oh, well, there's, there's been quite a few. I mean, disappointments are a part of life and all sorts of things. Probably the, the biggest has been that I lost a child. I had a child that was stillborn. Uh, that was 13 years ago. And it's amazing when something like that happens. It, you've got to take the, the bad with the good. And good things can come out of terrible situations. So something that good that did come out of that was that I, it gave me tremendous perspective. You can't... Nothing I do from that point onwards could be as intensely disappointing as that was to carry a child full term and then she's passed away. So it was pretty, within a few years, even though I'd sort of dragged my chain a bit with finishing my degree, by the time, once that happened, it was only a few years after that that I just said, you know what, I've just got to bite the bullet and finish this thing. And I did and was admitted and started getting traction, put one foot in front of the other. And it can be difficult to do that, particularly when you don't want to sometimes, but you do what you've got to do. And it does give you tremendous, if you can take it that way, having bad experiences can give you tremendous perspective. You've seen what the bad, the bad side of life can look like, so you know you can survive it. So you just keep moving forward. So I asked you about a hurdle, a challenge, the tough times you talked about, resilience and, and you also talked about disappointment now in, in this situation in losing a child um, what about the grief there must have been grief in there and dealing with that how did you manage and deal with that yeah for sure uh, I mean look when something like that happens and it's so completely unexpected 
I remember in those early days thinking I'm, that I was glad that breathing was an involuntary function because I probably wouldn't have been capable of it if it, if it wasn't. And I, I made the decision fairly early on after that had happened that my life was going to go in one or two directions. This was either going to crush me or I was just going to smash it out of the park and it was going to actually be the making of me. And I was pretty determined for it to be that second choice. And I guess that comes back to that resilience and just being a little bit, not taking no for an answer, not lying down and, and just saying, well, that's it. I wasn't prepared for that to be it. Mm. So I went on to have another child. And that, that was pretty scary because we didn't know what had happened mm. with my first, with my daughter. So, but I wouldn't have my son if I hadn't have kept going. And I think just ha the fact that I already had a child, of course, meant that I kind of didn't have an option. I had to just keep going because she was watching and I had to do what was right for her as well. So just making that choice, appreciating that there was a choice and then making it at a fairly early point was had a lot to do with how I got through it. Is life about choice? Absolutely. We all have choice, absolutely. Even when we think we don't, we do. We have the choice to to take uh, how we consider what's happened, how we think about it, what we do in response. We might not be able to, and I, I like this analogy that they use in grief a lot with, it's like an ocean, you know, waves. And yeah, it's very much like that. And how I sort of took it a step further and thought, you know, I can't control the ocean. All I can do is grip tightly onto my little surfboard and steer it in the direction that I want to go. And that's about all I can do. But that's something. That's a choice. Did that experience of losing a child give you a greater empathy, do you think, for others? Yes and no. You would think yes. but And certainly for children and for people who find themselves in very tragic circumstances through no fault of their own, it, it really does make it harder, I think, too, because you can, you can feel what they've been through. Uh, but a lot of the time, it does come back to that choice question. There is a choice there, and that choice has not been identified and no-one's choosing to act on it. So I find it harder, actually, to have empathy or compassion when people are just making the choice to be defeated. I find that hard to accept because it's very different from my worldview, I suppose. Interesting answer, that one. I'm going to ponder that one myself. <laughs> now, it's been great to talk to you. I, I want to leave this interview today for the Lake Mac Way by asking you just to... If I say to you now, after having a chat, when you walk out of this interview room here at work, what are the things you will think of? Will you just, because of that mind, that lawyer's mind, you just are in the present moment, you basically forget what we've talked about and you're back to work? Is that the, going to be the situation? I'm very much future focused. I'm always planning for the future. That's very much... I'm. I'm Yes, I'm in the now, but I'm more in the future than anything else. So I might th think about it, stew over it. Sometimes you, 
that's just the way the mind wants to work and I'll certainly let that happen. But I'm, uh, okay, this is done, put a line in the sand. Where are we going now? Mm. That's very much my uh, mentality, I suppose. Great to talk to you today and thanks for joining me on the Lake Macway. It was very good to talk to you. Thank you. The Lake Macway is produced by Lake Macquarie City Council.